Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield. What you're doing down here, you're man. All right, I've got some deeply troubling news to report to you, Second Captain's Football Podcast listeners today. Yep. What is it? The plague, Murph. The plague that has ripped through our beautiful game shows no signs of abating. A big shout out to Killian Kyo, Colin D, and the other brave soldiers who have broken this news from the front line to us. Apparently, at least one at least one television commentator, unverified rumours that it could be more, but at least one commentator yesterday described Antonio Valencia's goal against Everton as a... as a... a as a, I can't say it, Murph. You tell him. A good goal. A volley. Oh, a yeah. bloody volley. <sighs> oh, the, the, how many times do you have to go through this? The ball bounced. I'd like to know how many times we need to go through this one. <laughs> I really do. I'd like to know how many times and how close we are to that number. It was an amazing goal. There's no need to embellish it by giving it an inaccurate description. The ball bounced to him. It was a shot. It was nothing more, nothing less. What's next? You're playing a game of heads and bodies. Somebody kicks one in after it bounces and that's allowed? Down that road lies madness and anarchy, my friends. We've got to stamp this nonsense out of the game we all love so much. Tell your friends, gather your family, hell, even bury the hatchet with your enemies over this one. Together, make a stand against any old shot being described as a volley. Are you all with me? I said, are you all with me? Ah, never mind, forget it. See <sighs> Put a fork in this one on, it's done. Ken's not here today, by the way, which is why nobody's shouting me down on this topic. Well, Murphy's just bored by it, but nobody's getting aggressively Whatever you want it. us to do at this stage, Owen, we will do to ensure that you stop talking about follies. You probably think Ken's on holidays. Well, that's where you're wrong. Although he did say that that is the reason he's away. But we know Ken. We know the real reason why he's absent today. He is so cut up because he just heard for the first time that some of you listening to this podcast don't support independent journalism. That's why he's not here. He's had to take a break. He's had to take a day, yeah, a day off for five euro a month plus fat. You can join our world service, get multiple football shows weekly and hear Ken singing like we did last week. Minor. <laughs> Go on, this is amazing. Physical interference. The rules, they have no coherence. <laughs> Seeking my disappearance. They threw me in this cell. 
They did me entangle in a disciplinary wrangle. <laughs> Chain me up on the banks of the Royal Canal. I cannot believe that this has followed me out internationally. I thought I was out. I thought I was like Al Pacino and <laughs> just when I thought I was out, you pulled me back in. No. I come on with my good friends on the second captains and revive one of the most painful moments in my sporting fan oh, no. existence. You score a goal, they'll be there. If you're injured, they're there. If you need a bollocking, a bit of support. If you're in a fight, they're back you up. And you do the same for them. You're making me miss it now. <laughs> you know, those are the kind of things. It's not... Ah, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I do. Like, that's what it was all about for me. Yeah. Like, uh, that sense of brotherhood. Yeah. Really, that's what that's what sport was about for me. Possibility for this to be the best all Ireland in 50 years. Seven out of 15 men becoming priests. That's not good. Noted former Westmead hurler Paddy McCabe has the last word. They were a rather religious bunch of young lads, <laughs> one could say. <laughs> one could say. And you just said it, Paddy. I'm really surprised that you don't that you don't know. Honestly, are we talking about this? Yeah, we are going to talk about it because we haven't talked about it before. And I think it's been five years and I think it's about time. Uh, if there are any turkey neck plastic surgeons listening, <laughs> uh, you know. You don't the, have the neck of a turkey. Yep, aside from finding out about Ken's turkey neck and what exactly caused the turkey neck. Sorry again, Ken. Last week featured the Players' Share of Paul Gavin, the Fairview, Murph's Country Pages, one of the greatest ever US Murphs, and much, much more. This week you can expect the same quality again and a brand new political podcast with the aforementioned Ken Early. Make Ken happy, get him back to work, support the World Service, and support commercial-free independent journalism secondcaptains.com now this is the kind of class of a person we're talking about Murph, when it comes to world service members check this email out it's from Harrison Daly the email hey Harrison title is thank you he has sent this in to editor at secondcaptains.com Harrison begins dear second captains Harrison I suppose Harrison Ford is literally the only other Harrison oh. I've ever come across the first name yeah named after Han Solo nothing wrong with that of course I'm writing today or Indiana Jones I mean if you ever <laughs> Harrison. God he's been in a lot of good movies hasn't he really has Harrison Ford I wonder what his thoughts are on volleys <laughs> Okay, Harrison. I, I've forgotten Harrison's actual surname. Harrison Daly. Harrison begins. Harrison Daly. Harrison. It's Let a good, me. It's a, just a very good name. Well, I'm sorry. Continue, please. dear second captains. I'm writing to you today from the past mm. to say thank you. Well, let me explain. I've just finished writing the acknowledgement section to my PhD thesis and felt obliged to let you know that you are dutifully included. Oh. With a, th- a thesis title only slightly less enviable than Owen's poems, themes, motifs, and symbolism. And five long years of study, your voices kept me sane in the commute in and out of the lab every day. Hearing Ken's manic laughter after the England-Iceland game in a 46A home after a 14-hour day will stay with me for a very long time. Happy to help. Where the writing from the past bit comes in is, I'll have to be honest and say, unfortunately, for reasons outside my control, writing a PhD thesis, at the time of writing this email, I'm about 30-plus podcasts behind. I know, I know. I am, however, waiting with bated breath to see if Neymar does, in fact, move to PSG and how will Potter Harrington fare in this year's Open. <laughs> I'm catching up, I swear. I don't know if that uh, episode has lasted the test of time, Owen. Anyway, just a quick note to say a sincere thank you. If the second captains ever decide to branch out into the world of science, I'm always available. Kind regards from Harrison. And there's a PS, Murph. Go on. My actual thesis title is... I've practiced this, and I don't think I'm going to get it. Okay. okay. Here's the thesis title is Synthesis of BF2 Azadipyromethine 
based bioresponsive near infrared fluorescent imaging platforms. But would rather not out myself as a complete poindexter to the World Service community. Oops. Whoops, sorry about that, Harrison, you lovable poindexter. <laughs> Should have read to the end of the email before I started reading it out. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for the email and for being a member and for getting through that thesis. That sounds like heavy work, Harrison. I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't, uh, I don't understand. I understand very few of the words alone in that sentence, let alone when they're all put together like that. Yeah, and you know, you've... responsive near-infrared fluorescent imaging platform. It's just that big long one that I couldn't pronounce. That's yeah. really troubling me. It's, it's quite intimidating there, right in the middle of the sentence, gonna, isn't it? Yeah, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just stick a couple of hyphens in between it and just try it again. What you got here? I'll take all the time you need on. BF2 Azadi... <laughs> As I uh, you did all right the first time. I don't uh, know why you would try and go back again. I mean, you did okay. I mean, it wasn't great, but I mean, it wasn't terrible. Okay, well, let's just hope Simon's cut this last twenty seconds out yeah, of the open. podcast. I'm, I'm sure he has. He thanks for he wouldn't leave me hanging out there like this. Yeah, thanks for contributing to the uh, the font of knowledge available in the world, Harrison. Sounds like there's not a load of PhD theses on that particular no, topic. I would say this could be the first. So, yeah, well done to you. Ken may not be here, but fear not. We've called in the big guns. Joe's Dion Fanning's in studio. Hi, Dion. Hey, Owen. How's it going? Ah, great, thanks. We've got Jack Pitbrook as well at The Independent. Hi, Jack. Hi, guys. Now, this, Dion, is going to be a very short conversation if you give me the answer that I don't want to hear to this first question, okay? I want you to cast your mind back to Antonio Valencia's goal for Manchester United at the weekend. The ball bounces up and is oh, then... Oh, no. Oh, no. Is then struck into the top corner. <laughs> Would you, A, consider that a volley... Or B, consider that definitely not a volley because a volley is only considered a volley when the ball is struck on the full, i.e. without bouncing. It's not a volley. Yes! Are you saying that just to humour me? Because no, I, I, I heard the commentator yesterday describe it as a volley and I thought it's not a volley. You were disgusted, were I you? Was, I was. I was uh, threw my telly out the window, yeah. practically. Yeah, okay, that's great. We can move on now and talk about Josie Mourinho and this Manchester United team. Ken's not here, so we can probably talk about how great a job Mourinho's doing this, this season. With this massive, expensively assembled squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Plucky underdogs. Yeah, yeah, that, that are you know, beating uh, the... Uh, the also runs in the in the in the Premier League quite easily. There's a bit of a ruthlessness about them, but a lot of four 0 wins. Uh, it, remember Chelsea's first title winning season under Mourinho? They, they were battering teams four 0 quite a lot. I know it's only a statistical coincidence, but they they do at least you do have to take care of those sort of teams to win the league. Yeah, well, it's a difference between United this season and last season. So, uh, and you look at the goals, you know, the, the, their, their goals per game this season compared to last season, and it, and and they've really increased. And Lukaku is the difference there. Um, and I think if you go back to that title-winning season at Chelsea, when United, uh, when when Mourinho sent the team out, it was I think his goal was to win the league as quickly as possible, just to blow everyone away, which is always something he's been good at doing, starting fast. Uh, United have, have tried to do the same thing, struggled at Stoke. I do think there's a difference this year in that they won't be able to shake off Manchester City as easily, yeah. um, and then. I don't I don't I don't think there's any fundamental change in the way Mourinho approaches games. I I think it, that will re- reveal itself as the season goes on. They're playing Liverpool at Anfield in uh, after the international break. And if you remember how United played last season at Anfield uh when Mourinho took great joy in in demonstrating that Liverpool weren't one of the wonders of the world, uh I think you'll probably see something similar this time. I I, I don't believe He's, he's ever going to change. Uh, he's got players who can make his system more effective, and that's what's happening this year. This year, But even you look at the goals they scored at the end of the game yesterday, they were classic kind of punishing the mistakes of other teams, and that's what uh, 
Mourinho was all, you know, again, that's that's his, his the key tenet of his of his philosophy. Yeah, I guess Jack, there is um, there is a, uh, more than a strong hint of flat track bullying about some of these results, but you do have to to bully those teams. You know, you do have to get that done, and and they haven't always done that. I mean, the Van Hal days, they'd be drawing a lot of games against poor enough teams. Are you? Am I getting a bit carried away with the the early season form, or do you think that they are the real deal this year? I don't think you're getting carried away. I mean, if you look back at last season, United drew at home with Stoke, Burnley, West Ham, Arsenal, Hull, Bournemouth, West Brom and Everton. They're all games that they would expect to win. And um, I think that if they can bridge, it's not too much of a leap to say that if they can bridge that gap, then they will obviously be much more competitive for winning the Premier League. And I think that they can almost make up for the fact that they might not be able to go and beat their their closest rivals if they can maximize their points from those games i think that the, com- the comparison with when chelsea won the league in 2014-15 is interesting um because looking back on it now it was an inc- quite, quite an easy title to win like they mm. weren't up against any other good teams if you look at the managers that uh Mourinho beat to win that title it was in, in coming in second was pellegrini's manchester city th- third was arsene wenger and fourth was van Gaal's manchester united Whereas this time, obviously, he has to prove that he can beat Conte, Guardiola, Klopp and Pochettino to the title. Uh, and in that sense, I think this is one of the most interesting stories of this season. It's, this, I, it's a question of whether or not Mourinho's football can still be relevant and successful. It's kind of, you know, sort of 10 to 12 years on from his peak. Do you see it that way? Almost that there's, there's a, a deeper question. I think question so, yeah. In, yeah. I think it's a, for me, I was thinking about this earlier, it feels a bit of a, like a, almost like a sort of litmus test or a referendum on Mourinho's relevance. Because he, you know, last year they didn't necessarily have the players that they wanted and there was a bit of adjustment and they've been coming off some fairly bad times under in with Moyes and Van Hal. Whereas now he's kind of, he's got everything in place. Like he's got... I'm sure he might want even more good players, but they've definitely got enough good players there to win the title. And therefore, it's a uh, it's much more of a test of, of his methods and his approach. A litmus test of whether his coaching is still relevant. Dion, that's a nice bit of pressure to be carrying in. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I kind of hope it is still relevant because I'm not so sure that there are that many teams who are going to challenge this season. Like I think, uh, like Jack, when Jack says, you know, that, that wasn't a hard league for Chelsea to win and I agree with that and I think one of the problems in, in the Premier League recently has been that there hasn't been a real contest and you know looking at it this season okay maybe Spurs maybe Chelsea will do will 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 challenge but I I think the main challenge you you almost you want and it is between Manchester City and Manchester mm-hmm. United and then it becomes also something as Jack said, it becomes not just a referendum on Mourinho, becomes a referendum on sort of competing philosophies. Ian Wright was saying last night that he would like more from Lukaku, who you mentioned earlier on, in terms of his off the ball running in particular. He feels that he could he can he can just be a little bit smarter in how he operates. I, th- I thought it was maybe a little bit of an unfair criticism, given that the guy's banging in a goal pretty much every game and more. Yeah, I, but I, I think that that is that is a criticism that's been made at Lukaku before, and it's a valid one. And I think again, as with his, he does miss. He does. He's you know he's scoring goals, but he does miss chances you would expect more natural goal scorers to get as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think there are there are huge improvements he can he can do in his game, but there is enough in his game, as, as Jack says, to actually beat 
the uh, the also rounds of the Premier League, and that is that is the key thing, really, ultimately in in winning in winning Premier Leagues is are, are certainly challenging for titles is to beat those teams. Is that the kind of stuff that's just going to change now, though? The deficits that are in his game. Can, can you suddenly become an intelligent off the ball runner? Can you suddenly become a ruthless finisher if if he isn't that already? Uh, I don't think you can become a ruthless finisher. I think you can probably you can definitely improve um, your running off the ball. Although uh, there's lots of players who you would look at at, at this stage at that stage in their career and think if you haven't done it by then, hmm. um, like you know Lukaku isn't. Like, I think the, the worst probably was um, Gibral Cisse when he when he joined when he joined <laughs> Liverpool. And Benitez supposedly spent day after day just basically trying to teach him how to bend a run, so he didn't. He didn't seem to know the offside rule, uh, and uh, that seemed to uh, be a, be a source of you know great frustration for Rafa. Um, you know, one of the many things that frustrates Rafa. But that was uh, one you think you would know by the time you arrive as a kind of record transfer yeah. in the, in the Premier League. You would know how to bend a run to avoid offside, and he never could quite grasp that. So I think. Lukaku is is teachable. Jack, you were at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Uh, a lot of the analysis has been quite interesting of this game, almost treating it as a victory for Arsenal, which I guess, in, in a way, it kind of is a moral victory to get an away draw. Is that a, a sign of how far they've fallen, or did you see ge- genuine cause for some optimism for Arsenal fans yesterday? Yeah, I think it is a sign of how far they've fallen. I mean, the fact that they can impress so many people simply by following a game plan defending properly, not making any catastrophic mistakes, you know, hanging in there for 90 minutes, which you'd think ought to be the kind of really, that, that feels like a very low bar for one of the richest professional football teams in the country. And yet by doing so in a way which is so, you know, so different from their approach in their last five, I think they've lost five in a row at Stanford Bridge before then, um, they have, you know, they, they have managed to surprise a lot of people. I think I'm, I'm I was thinking about this earlier. Do do we think it's going to be like a new standard that Arsenal will meet and maintain for the rest of the season? I think probably not. I mean, if you look at Arsenal in the last few years, have produced quite a few of these kind of one-off, strong away performances. You know, not le- I mean, it's not quite an away game, but the FA Cup semi-final and final that back end of last season springs to mind. But they don't always. I don't get the impression that they have set a standard which they all which they will now adhere to. Um, because I don't think they've got that kind of consistency. There was a bit, certainly yeah. in terms of, you know, as a, res- as a counterpoint or as a response to losing 4-0 at Anfield a few weeks ago, it was, it was certainly a step in the right direction. Yeah, the bit of analysis I'm thinking of in particular was on Match of the Day 2 last night where they had a graphic illustrating the average formation of the team based on, on essentially where they all ran and where they're all positioned for 90 minutes. And essentially it was along the lines of where they were supposed to be. You know, the, the formation that was set out by Arsene Wenger before the game was the plan was carried out by his players, which again seems like a pretty low bar, to yeah. a low place to set the bar. But equally, is it easier to play to, a, to, a, to carry out instructions like that when you actually don't have your superstar players in the team, in particular Mesut Ozil, who doesn't exactly ever do much to um, you know, fit in with the, with, with the tactical shape and, and defensive solidity? Yeah, I completely agree. I wrote um, I wrote a piece about that from the game. I think that they, I think they certainly benefited from not having Özil in the team. I think that you know, because obviously he doesn't do the the defensive work that you know Alex Iwobi and Danny Welbeck were doing uh, either side of Alexandre Lacazette. Uh, even Sanchez, who's obviously 
you know, a much more effective player and a much harder runner. So you sometimes get the impression with Sanchez that his his running has done more for himself than from the team, if you know what I mean. Like he likes running around. But that's not to say that he is a disciplined follower of orders. Mm. And um and also there's a kind of slightly toxic effect that I think Sanchez sometimes has on some of his teammates through his, his demeanour, uh and the bollockings that he gives them, basically. Uh, so for that reason I think that it was a more kind of I don't know if humble's the right word, but a more like slightly predictable, workmanlike, but um unified and cohesive team performance that we saw from Arsenal yesterday in the absence of their top two players. And given that those two guys are leaving at the end of the season, then it's something that they're gonna to have to get used to. Um but it might you know, who knows, it might even be for the best. It seems a bit counterintuitive, Dion, but the question we're asking here is are Arsenal better off without their two best players? Um they may well be. Like I think there are so many fault lines at Arsenal watching the Liverpool game that I, I felt, even though people were saying this is you know same old Arsenal, I felt it was kind of worse than it ever had been before. Um, and maybe that was because of the presence of Sanchez and this idea that um, the Arsenal players don't you know enjoy playing with him or don't like his attitude and all this kind of stuff. And then you know, his goal, you know, there was the analysis of who ran to celebrate with him last week and. You know, I, I did kind of think, well, if you've, if you've pissed Theo Walcott off, you, you're kind of doing all right. Um, but, but I do think, I, well, I, I, don't think, I don't think Arsenal are better. I kind of think Arsenal re- really need to just change. Like, I don't think anything, unless, until they change, and, and sadly that means until Wenger goes, there's no point in discussing it really, how, how can they improve within, within, within that model? Because... Mm-hmm. Like the the game against Chelsea was a perfect example. We've seen we have seen this before. We've seen I, I can't remember what game they they got spanked in and in and then got a draw with David Moyes United that season. Uh, and again, Wenger is able to say to talk about as Jack said, you know, various things they've done and they've managed to, you know, it's disciplined and they're bound, they're they're kind of regrouping from here. And this shows uh, um, the spirit of uh, that remains within within his squad. And you know, they're, they're not going to just you know, roll over and 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 collapse and die. But that's kind of what you know. You wonder when you look at like the game yesterday. If Arsenal were really changing, they'd win it. Mm. If Arsenal were really, if it was something different was happening, uh, they would have got scored in the first half when they actually dominated a bit and played quite well. Um, and they didn't do that. And as as Chelsea and you looking at it at the time, it looked like well. That was their chance. Chelsea are going to go and win this in the second half. That didn't happen, so Arsenal can can feel that you know it w- wasn't a bad day. But ultimately, a bit like their Champions League runs, they never managed to go beyond that very low st- that yeah. that certain standard. And as well, you know, our our aim here, the most we can ever hope for against Chelsea, considering we lost six nil here a couple of seasons ago, is to uh, is to come away, come away with a nil nil. And there's no reason. Uh, I don't think to, to think you know for Arsenal not to go to Chelsea and win. Um, it's the comfort that Thierry Henry has been banging on about last week. The, the comfortable position that everybody is in at the club. So you go and you draw with Chelsea. Oh, that's grand. That's a decent result. Nobody can get on our backs about that. On to next week. Yeah, everything. It just it needs to change. I think I, I thought looking at the Arsenal game that whatever feelings the Arsenal players on the pitch had about Sanchez or whatever, and that might be a contributing factor. These were this was a, a group of players that had were wondering why the manager was still there, wondering why they were still doing the same, 
making the same mistakes of of preparation and and approach and adi- and and all the stuff that Wenger is, is reportedly doesn't do with with the team and and is really lacking in in their approach so often and i don't think i don't think anything can make a difference mm. um be you know apart from Wenger deciding to retire and they missed the opportunity to do that was at the end of last summer Wenger didn't Wenger didn't give himself a contract extension, you know. He, I know he has. He may. He may have been close to being able to give himself enough, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but he didn't. He didn't quite do it himself. And and that failure, with, you know, within the club, is a thing that is going to bring them down. And until they address that, I do, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't really matter. I think you can afford to lose Sanchez and Ozil. At, at, you know, in in the team, you can afford to lose them at the end of next season if you're making fundamental changes and you're going to actually address all the structural problems in the club. Might as well continue to make hay while Ken's not here and talk about how much of a lunatic David Luiz was <laughs> yesterday. So how much of a lunatic was David Luiz yesterday, Dion? What, for sending off? Yeah. Uh, Do you think well, it was that bad? I thought it was pretty bad, yeah. And he, um, he he deserved to get sending off. I don't think it, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's a tackle you, you, you see. You know, Luiz does, he did, he had a, was it last year against Fellaini? He had a kind of wild tackle yeah. uh, that he didn't get sent off for. Um, so he, he, he does this. Uh, I actually thought, in a strange way, given the the Mane situation last week, that his bicycle kick was kind of uh, was one of those situ- was one of those incidents where you thought he, he could he could be um, he could be sent off under the the Mane def- definition of a red card. So, I mean, I suppose the question we're asking is on a scale of lunacy, ten being holding Neymar's jersey at the World Cup and crying during the Brazilian national anthem, being a ten. Where was the overhead kick and where was the actual sending off? You're probably talking maybe a six and a four, four maybe? Four and a five. Like, yeah. they didn't yeah. cost, you know, the sending off didn't really cost Chelsea anything. Uh, yeah. Bicycle kick didn't, you know, might have been more damaging if 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 he'd been sent off for it. Um, but they didn't really, it didn't really cost, have any impact on, on the game. So I think if you're, if, you're, if you're grading it, you have to take that into account. Yeah, uh, Jack, I was watching that, uh, the, the bicycle kick and following the reaction. I have to say, I was thinking, oh no, this puts me in a slightly tricky position because I was bleeding on straight away after the Mane tackle about how it was the most obvious red card in the world and I was sort of uh, exultant in Monday's podcast after that one. But I'm looking at it yesterday going, that, it didn't feel like a red card. It was, it was a bicycle kick. It, it seemed like a pretty standard execution of a, of a skill that everyone admires in the game. And yet, really, what was the difference between that and Mane? Because it, it was reckless and the FA said as much. They said, yeah, it was reckless, but it didn't endanger the safety of an opponent due to a lack of speed and intensity, I think is what they, they, they supposedly said, which is absolutely bonkers. You can obviously, you can, you can pretty seriously injure a guy with a bicycle kick to the head. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it was... It, from, from the press box where we were watching, which is quite low down at Chelsea, I, I didn't even notice it. it had happened in real time and it didn't even occur to me that it would be an issue until people started tweeting how is that not a red so clearly when you know people aren't fully attuned to all the these these incidents all being red cards like then like they're now meant to be I, I must say i thought that the the actual red card was a very obvious red card simply because of the noise it made like it made a horrible crack uh when louise got kolasinac on the shin um and while it hasn't cost chelsea anything in that game it means that he won't be available for manchester city um, the Saturday after next, and the prospects of Aguero and Gabriel Jesus up against Andreas Christensen, uh, you know, sounds like it could end quite badly for Chelsea. Conte was muttering darkly, as he sometimes does after the game, about 
well, it was a bad tackle by Louise. This is the actual red card. But maybe we have to see what happened in the build-up to it or something along those lines. Was he was he talking about that sort of stuff in the press conference? Does anyone know what he was on about? Yeah, he was saying that Louise had been fouled immediately before. Right. I think, and that therefore uh, he he started it with some great line like, you know, I'm never one to talk about referees. I never ever speak about referees. But and then went into his complaint. And th- this came two days after his Friday press conference, where he said that. Uh, he started going through the red cards that Chelsea have had in their games against Arsenal before, uh, not least in the FA Cup final and in the Community Shield. So clearly he's not averse to that kind of complaint or uh, conspiracy theory like other people who've held that job before him. Yeah, yeah, that's true enough. Listen, we'll leave it there. Brilliant stuff. Jack, thanks so much, Dion. Thanks a million for making it in. Thanks, guys. What have I become? My sweetest friend I mean, at the time I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know But now I think Goes away Should have just played anyway. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. No, well, it doesn't matter really what you think. My empire of dirt Yeah, you weren't there at the time. I will let you down an international player I will make you hurt. and you had the frustrations I had if I could start again I played at the international level a million miles away and you hadn't been accused of faking an injury so I will keep myself what you think doesn't really matter I would find a way I don't know if you saw the disallowed goal during the Arsenal game where Perold Mustafa thought he'd scored yes. for the Gunners and went off on a, I think it was a bird-like celebration. Yeah, a, little bit a like flappy arms type flappy thing. Flappy arms yeah. celebration anyway for quite a long time before he realised the goal had been chalked off. So I googled footballers celebrating disallowed goals. There's always, there's a video for everything these days. Yeah, there Karen. is one. And there is a YouTube video which has been viewed by more than one and a quarter million people. Entitled Top Funny Disallowed Goal Celebrations in Football. You sent it on to me on, I watched it. There are some doozies in there. I, I will be honest and say that the quality dropped off over the course of the six and a half minutes or so. But there I would were some have said good ones at the start. Four, four and a half minutes would have you know, you'd have gotten the full gamut of what can actually happen in this situation. And I would also say to the person putting the video here, there's not really much point putting in the ones that are disallowed, but then you don't see the reaction of the player. Yeah. That's the whole joy of a disallowed goal yeah. after they've expended so much energy in celebrating. My favourite was probably Karim Bullet, a player for Western Sydney. Slides in a neat finish. <laughs> this is the first one. Sprints beyond the goal. Really sprints. Leaps over the advertising hoardings and runs all the way to the back of the running track or whatever it is into the embrace of his supporters before turning around to discover the bad news. And a similar one, Tim Cahill for Australia against Greece. It was almost identical with the added element of whipping his shirt off. So by the time Cahill sees the referee shouting over to him, signalling that it's not going to be a goal, he's standing forlorn and topless in the lashing rain but for his little bit of GPS clothing mm. you know, that thing that covers the chest and shoulder area yeah. it's I mean, all he, very very sad one minute he was celebrating a goal the next minute he's just a dude wearing a bra yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what a disallowed goal can do to you Murph if we celebrate it <sighs> too hard slings and arrows on so it kind of meanders a bit after that to be honest with you but hey it passed up it ate six. up about 6 minutes and 37 seconds, roughly, yeah. of my day today, so it's all good. We have another fun week on the way on the World Service, if you're a part of it, like Harrison Daly is. I should have congratulated Harrison from earlier, who sent an email, on catching up. Obviously, if he's listening to this this podcast, he has now caught up on those 30-odd 
podcasts. And I should also probably ask him to start sending in some snippets of his thesis. Yeah. If they're entertaining enough. It sounds like a, a real barn burner. I'd like we to read, read, read some out on it. I think we could do that. I, w- I would actually like to see what two pages of that thesis looks like. Harrison, send in the dorkiest part of that thesis for us. There's a couple of pages of it. Maybe, I don't know, there could be, I don't know if there's any copyright issues or anything like that, but I'm sure yeah. we can smooth it over. Yeah. And, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, Harrison, I mean, it's yours. I mean, it's uh, once you make the decision to hand it over to us, I'm sure it'll be fine. Exactly. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 